You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Coming up on episode 237 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Infiniti QX60, the Acura RDX, the Lincoln Navigator, the first look at Jeep's new upcoming battery electric vehicle, Ford's big reorganization, the Polestar 02 concept, and Rivian pricing. All that and more coming up next. Did you know you can support Wheel Bearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. This is episode 237 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu Al-Samid, and I'm from Guidehouse Insights. <laughs> That's the first time you've ever had to pause, Sam. <laughs> a little bit of a brain fart. Though. He's like, wait, who am I? And I am Nicole Wakelin, and this week I will be from uh, Kelly Blue Book. <laughs> and unfortunately, Roberto uh, pinged us a little while ago and said that he's got a terrible migraine this morning, so we're going to let him have the day off today. So it's just the two of us. Just us. Just us. And you're back from Disney, I think, right? I am back from my vacation. Yes, I had a great vacation. Disney World got the both kids down there, one's in college, so it's no small feat to get all of us together at one time. So yeah, so it was a nice time, and it was nice and toasty warm. It was wonderful to be someplace where the air didn't hit, hurt my face. So, yeah, I appreciated that. <laughs> well, we, we were having a brief weekend of that this, this weekend here in Michigan, too. I actually took the Miata out for the first drive of the year yesterday. and It was lovely. Oh, nice, nice. Nice balmy 55 degrees. It was perfect. See, and that's like a heat wave. When you live someplace where it's cold, like genuinely cold and snowy, it gets to the 50s. And when that first few days it does that, you feel like, okay, I'm just going to like, I need like a t-shirt and shorts, the top down and open all the windows. It's like, that's a heat wave. (laughs) The the first time it hits 35 around here, you know, it's, that's t-shirt weather. Right. It's like things are melting. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So what what have you been driving? Um, I have had some time so far, and I'm looking forward to a few more days in it. The 2022 Acura RDX, I'm just going to read this entire description. 2022 Acura RDX SH all-wheel drive A-spec advance. 
That's, well, if you really want to complete it, it should be super handling all-wheel drive. Oh, shoot. Super handling all-wheel drive. I couldn't see. I brain cramped. You brain cramped up who you work for. I forgot <laughs> what SH stood for. So so that's what I have this week. And it is actually the most be- uh, beautiful color. It's called, I have to look it up, Apex Blue Pearl. It is the prettiest. Oh, yeah. I've seen that. Blue. It's a really striking color. It's a really, really pretty car. Um, the total on the one that I have is $52,845 with a destination fee. You want to take a guess, Sam? Uh, you know? $995. You're just a skosh under, so you would have won by prices, right, rules. It's $1,045. Okay. So, so you know. Modest modest by 2022 standards. Exactly. Like, if this was five, ten years ago, you'd be losing your mind. But right now, you're like, hey, that's not so bad. Uh, so what this has, this year there were a couple of changes. It's not an all-new or anything, but they did a couple of updates. There's now standard uh, wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto. There's also standard Amazon Alexa. They improved the insulation in it so it rides a little quieter and uh, they give it a little styling update little tweaks here and there but nothing dramatic so it's you know slightly improved rdx but not dramatically improved rdx um so power for this two liter four cylinder it has 272 horsepower and it has a um 10 speed automatic transmission perfectly fine to drive the transmission is nice i didn't see any issues with it it shifts nicely and quietly and the sound insulation i have not looked up whether they focused on just trying to make the cabin quiet or really trying to keep the engine noise out either way it does it is very quiet even under hard acceleration when you mash the gas on this you don't get any you feel the car accelerating but you don't get that noise that's intrusive sort of in keeping you know acura isn't really a luxury car but it's an upscale brand and it it gives you that kind of upscale ride you expect it to be quiet you know that it's doing work but you don't want it in your face it's not a charger um so like that uh this one has all-wheel drive which it was funny this came after a snowstorm not before (laughs) not during but after so i didn't get a chance to drive it in the snow which would have been uh fun to do but it does have all-wheel drive so it is perfectly capable of taking it out there uh when the winter weather returns which it's only march 6th it totally could any second now it's new england uh we get they only sell like Acura does this. We only have one trim of our vehicle and we have packages. Really, their packages are like their trim levels. So this comes like the A-spec is one thing. The advanced package is another thing. The tech package is another thing. So they just kind of keep piling on the packages sort of. And that's sort of how you expand your trim levels. Um, The A-spec package looks really slick, like it's your sporty package, but it doesn't really do anything to how it drives. It just looks cooler. So if you want your car to look cooler, but you don't really care if it is cooler, <laughs> that's that's what the A-Spec does. Um, it adds things like you get a black headliner, you get different styling. There's a snazzy sport trim, uh, sport steering wheel. Um, you get leather and ultra suede seats. Can I just tell you ultra suede? Is it suede actually is ultra suede or is it Alcantara or something it, synthetic? It literally no, says ultra suede. Okay. See, on my fancy Monroney, I made sure to double check because I was wondering that too. I'm like, what is this? Nope, it's ultra suede. Uh, just the inserts. Uh, you get 20-inch alloy wheels. So you get some stuff that makes it look a little cooler and feel a little a little sportier, you know? It gives it a nice little vibe, but it's not like it, it changes how it's going to drive for you. So if you don't care about that, don't do that. Like, if you want it to look cooler, go ahead and do that. Um, there, The tech package is... That's kind of what, like, there's the tech and the advanced package. The tech package does exactly what you think it's going to add technology. You're getting, you get nav with voice recognition. Um, You get a wireless phone charger. You also get um, ambient lighting, 
with like, I can't forget, I forgot to look up the number of it, but I felt like it was 9,000 ways adjustable. Like there was so much, it's one of those you could sit there, ooh, like it just play with the lighting. It was really kind of fun. You get parking, front and rear parking sensors and you get a rear camera washer, uh, which when it's salty and gross like this, this time of year and your rear camera, camera is useless, that's kind of cool. Uh, the advanced package has a lot more of the sort of just comfort and convenience features. So if you want your, your luxury-ish vehicle to feel that way, the advanced package does that. Um, you get a heated steering wheel, you get ventilated front seats. The front seats, they're 16-way power adjustable. So you can get unbelievably comfortable in these. Like, I actually like these seats. I drove the Lincoln navigator two weeks ago vacation blurs your sense of time two yeah. weeks ago and they have like a 30-way adjustable seat that has like individual adjusting thigh extenders like if you want your left leg to have more support than your right i actually like the seats in the acura better i know lincoln's gonna hate me they're like take her name right off of our list but i think these are really comfy seats so i enjoy that and driving it it's you know it's not a sports car it's a it's a smallish suv um so it's comfortable it handles well uh you won't find that you're it doesn't feel sloppy it's very well mannered when the road is kind of crummy we have very crummy roads around here right now it's it's winter time still in new england there's this is the worst time of year actually because the freeze and the thaw has been so extensive you have potholes that will swallow your tire so it's a little bit like a mario kart situation (laughs) which i'm sure you've got the same thing oh yeah absolutely (laughs) you're like oh that pothole wasn't there yesterday ah (laughs) you're trying to avoid things but it handles so based on that it handles really well nice smooth ride and it is quieter i know they did some stuff to try to make it quieter it does feel a little bit quieter um it's an it feels like a very road trip worthy car it's comfortable it's roomy enough it has enough space for you and your family and it's quiet and it's not i like the interior because it's it looks good and it feels good but it also it gets like a little luxury-ish vibe without feeling delicate like i have a problem with that when suvs get too delicate and they're supposed to be family cars and i think i wouldn't put my kid with her sticky fingers in there when she was little to save my life you know because kids are hard on that kind of stuff but this yeah this they you know they can they just look at a car it's like who's the character from peanuts is it pig pen they just yeah. go around with a little cloud of dust the kids get in the car and it's like, it's like what did you do all i did was put you in there so the acura feels like it would ha- like hold up a little bit better to to day-to-day family stuff so overall i like it um you know like i said this one is fifty-two thousand, so it's not almost 53 it's so it's not cheap but i feel like you're getting a lot you get the style you get a decent amount of performance you get a huge number of features so all in all a plus i like this one yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I've I've always liked this current generation of the RDX, and and also the first generation. The second generation, I was less enamored with. They went kind of softer with that one, more luxury. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it had the V6. The the original, the first generation, was the first Honda or Acura, at least sold here, with a turbocharged engine. It had a 2.3 liter turbo four, um, and that was one of the first cars that they had that had that that super handling all-wheel drive. So it's a torque vectoring system that, that re- automatically redirects the torque when you're cornering to help the, the vehicle turn in better and, and go where you're pointing it with the steering wheel. And I've, I've always really liked that on the, uh, both on the first generation and on this one. Um, and I, I like the size of this one. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a good size. You know, it's roomy enough you know, for adults in the back, but uh, it, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's not, ginormous you know if, if you don't need to carry you know 
four or five kids. Uh, right. It's it's a it's a really good size as a daily driver. I think, and the size is that's a, a big thing with this too, because you, you know, there's huge SUVs out there for people who either just want that or have large families or constantly filling filling it full of stuff. But there's something to be said for for an SUV that still has enough room for you know husband, wife, whatever, and two kids, and their stuff with being small enough that you can easily take it into a city. Like it's not small, so small that it becomes compact crossover that the second the kids are like tweens, it doesn't fit them and they're squashed in the back seat. This still has enough room, but keeps the dimensions to being something that would be super easy to take downtown. And, you know, you could, if the kids something are home, you can, park. <laughs> you can park without, yeah. I mean, you get those extra parking sensors as that one package, but you don't really need them. Like this isn't so big that it becomes one of those things where you're wondering if you're going to, you know, clip a car as you're pulling into a spot or the, how close are you really to the curb? It has a, it's got nice dimensions. Got a nice yeah. little figure. <laughs> and I like the I like the design of it too. This this current generation of Acura's design language I think works works much better than the previous generation. Yeah. And this it looks, you know, it and as I was talking about the A spec package adding a certain amount of like sportiness to the look and styling, it you know, this does have a sporty look to it. It doesn't look sort of bland and just another SUV. And I think part of it might honestly be this color. I can't tell you just, you got to see this blue pearl. This apex blue pearl is absolutely gorgeous. Sam, are you dying? Are you going to make it? I'm not dying. I'm fine. Okay. I can see him taking a drink of his water. I'm like, Sam's, I'm about to lose Sam. Um, But yeah, the, you know, it, it is an attractive SUV. There's so many SUVs. So it's hard to get something that the styling actually looks in any way different or unique. And this one doesn't just blend it, it. It has a little character. It has something a little bit different. So I like this. I think they did a really good job with this one. I really do. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. I had, uh, have the, uh, 2022 infinity QX 60 autograph, uh, all wheel drive. So um, you and I both drove the, the QX60 at the launch drive last summer, and I think you had one a couple of months ago. Yeah. Um, so this is this is Infinity's big three-row crossover. You know, it shares its platform with the Pathfinder, which we've also talked about in, in recent months. Uh, both having driven that, uh, it's you know it's the if you're this is what you know the kind of thing we were just talking about. You know if you mm-hmm. need more space than what you get in the uh, the RDX. You know, this is the and but and you want something that's more premium feeling than, you know, say a Pathfinder or a Honda Pilot. Uh, this is kind of that next step up. Uh, you know, Acura has of course got the MDX. You know, their three row crossover. The the QX60 um, is you know it's a it's more a more luxury kind of feel to it. A more you know as opposed to the, the sportier character of the Acuras um, and. You know, I think when we, talk, when we first saw it last year, um, you know, the, the design struck me as kind of a cross between um, Lincoln, you know, Lincoln Aviator mixed with um, elements of uh, Mazda's current design language. So, you know, you, there's some some sculpting in the uh, in the in the flanks of this thing, but you, it doesn't have the creases that you find on the Lincolns, the the, the long the the long horizontal character lines. Um, so, you know, it's, it's more, more like the, the, the Mazda look, you know, where it feels like a pebble that's been sitting in a stream, you know, for decades, you know, gradually getting smoothed down. Um, and, it, and I think, you know, it's a, it's a good look that it works, it works well, uh, for this vehicle. Uh, 
you know, it also has uh, you know kind of the the floating roof design, you know, similar to the Aviator, but um, you know it's got the the notches at the the D pillar at the the rearmost pillar uh, on the top and the bottom, uh, so it's it's kind of a slightly different look. Um, the interior uh, really nice, especially in the autograph, uh, really well executed, really lovely materials, nice big bright screen. Um, You've got uh, features like uh, ProPilot Assist, uh, which is Nissan and Infiniti's uh, hands-on hands driving assist system yes. that does lane centering and, uh, and adaptive cruise control. Um, Three-row seating, uh, even the third row, adults can reasonably fit in the back. You, don't want to, you wouldn't want to take a long road trip in that third row, but you know, to go out to dinner, go somewhere, you know, go across town, it's fine back there. Um, this one, the one I have, has the available uh, captain's chairs in the second row with the console that is removable. Uh, so if you want to have the a pass through um, to the to the third row, you can you can easily reach down and pull out that console. Um, of course, you'll want to do that before you leave. Uh, you don't, I don't think you'd want to have that somebody <laughs> having to hold that in their lap. Um, but uh, you know, it's it gives you if you're if you don't need the pass through there, and it gives you a nice store, you know, a nice bit of storage in there. Otherwise, uh, you can just take it out and have that that pass through. Um, one of the the great features, you know, if you are using this as a family hauler and you've got young kids, uh, that it shares with the Pathfinder, of course, is the uh, the second row seats tilt up from the front um, and allow you access to the rear without folding down the second row seat backs. So if you have car seats in that second row, you can leave them in place and just pop, the whole thing pops forward, uh, which is very handy. Uh, let's see the find the Monroni here. Okay. So the, the one that I've been driving is in the deep Bordeaux with black with the saddle Brown interior, which is a I love great, that interior. It's yeah. really pretty. Yeah. Beautiful. It's a great color combination. Mm -hmm, it really um, is. 295 horsepower, 270 foot-pound torque, uh, 3.5 liter V6, uh, nine-speed automatic transmission, which was probably the single biggest upgrade for both the QX60 and the Pathfinder this year from the previous generation. They ditched the CVT that they were using. This feels a lot nicer, a lot smoother. It's qu very quiet. Um, you really never feel the transmission shifting at all. Uh, it just it just does its thing. Uh, you've got features like trailer sway control, which is very handy if you are towing. Uh, you can tow up to 6,000 pounds uh, with this thing. Uh, although I think probably most people that are towing that much are probably going to opt for something larger. You know, opt for a, a, a full-size SUV or pickup. You know, maybe get the QX80 or uh, something like that. <clears throat> but trailer sway control is a really nice feature if you've ever towed a trailer. Uh, and it gets starts to get windy, and the trailer starts to go back and forth. Getting it back under control manually can be a nerve-wracking experience. Mm -hmm. And the trailer sway control just the uses the sensors on the on the vehicle to detect that, and it will automatically start applying the brakes selectively on the rear wheels uh, to just enough to get enough force to get it all stabilized and get you back under control, which is a, a wonderful feature. Um, it's, it's becoming pretty much standard on most vehicles that are capable of towing, but it's, you, it's something you definitely want to make sure that you have available to you. Um, you got the panoramic moonroof on this one, um, full leather interior, um, 
Hail Start Assist, uh, ProPilot Assist, as I mentioned. Uh, this one has the, the the camera mirror, the interior camera mirror, the digital mirror, uh, which I am a big fan of on a lot of these modern vehicles that have very limited visibility to the rear. You know, have, having the camera on the back, um, you know, that can give you that un, unimpeded view of heads and headrests and pillars and everything else, so you can actually see what's behind you, uh, is definitely a good thing. Uh, so all in. Uh, this one came to $64,150, uh, including the $900 upcharge for the what they label as super premium paint. Ooh. Uh, and it does look premium. It's a very, it's a, it's a great color. Um, and it looks very deep and rich. Um, and the destination charge is actually a little bit cheaper than on that RDX. Uh, it's How only much? $1,025. So you're going to save 20 bucks. Yeah. I mean, you twenty gonna, bucks is twenty bucks. That's you, a gallon of gas these days. Yeah, I mean, you're I mean. gonna pay, you know, what, tw- <laughs> what, ten thousand dollars more, um, you know, on the sticker price, but you're gonna make it up on the, you know, make up at least a little bit of it on the delivery charge. Yeah. Um, the uh, the fuel economy is pretty decent on this one. Um, I'm not, can't remember what the EPA rated fuel economy is because they they didn't actually give me a proper Monroney. They just gave me a, a feature list and and price. Um, but I've been averaging about 23 miles per gallon, which for a big three-row SUV that's not a hybrid is yeah, it's decent. It's 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 very much competitive. Um, and on the on the highway, I can get it up to a little over 24. Uh, so that's that's a good thing. So not not going to complain about that. Uh, although you know, given the way gas prices are going right now, maybe maybe you might want to uh, consider that. Uh, what are your here, gas prices right now in in Michigan? Uh, let's see, when I looked the other day, I, I I didn't look yesterday, and I haven't looked today, but uh, the other day it was like three seventy five a gallon for regular. Mm, yeah. Uh, so, EPA fuel economy on this one is uh, QX is uh, twenty two combined, twenty city, twenty five highway. As I said, I've been averaging about twenty three, and we've actually got a question later that we'll get to about uh, fuel economy, and uh, we'll we'll address that later on in the Q and A. Uh, all right, some of the uh, the news from this week. Uh, Stellantis had uh, uh, an investor day event uh, the other day, and they talked about some of their their uh, Carlos Tavares, their CEO, talked about their their Dare Forward twenty thirty blueprint for cutting edge freedom of mobility, um, and you know he reiterated a lot of the stuff we've heard um, over the you know over various events over the last nine months or so, their EV event that they did last June, their AI event in September, uh, their, their first uh, annual, uh, first you know, general meeting that they had after the merger was closed uh, just about a year ago. So you know, they're targeting you know, going extensively EV. Um, they want to be pretty much all electric in Europe by 2030, uh, about 50% EV in North America by that time, by the end of the decade. Um, they're going to have electric versions of pretty much everything they build uh, by about 2025, 2026. Um, one thing that, uh, or two things that were new uh, out of this one. Well, first first of all, they increased their planned capacity for battery production um, by, from uh, the original uh, 260 gigawatt hours that they were planning to 400 gigawatt hours, which is what they think they're going to need in 2030. Okay. Um, so that's a significant uh, increase. So we're probably going to see 
more battery plants both here in, in North America as well as in Europe. Um, they're also planning on expanding uh, their availability of fuel cell technology to, to large vans in 2024 um, and uh, doing uh, with Waymo um, to uh, have uh, level four automated versions of the, uh, uh, the Ram ProMaster and the um, Fiat Ducato um, to offer delivery as a service uh, options with those. Um, but uh, the, the, probably the, the single biggest bit of news here was they showed the first uh, render of the first battery electric Jeep, production battery electric Jeep. Um, it's, uh, it's a small crossover. Uh, looks, um, you know, looks to be, they, they don't have anything in there for scale. Uh, but, yeah. you know, looking at it, you know, it looks to be, it's, it's either the size of, it's either a replacement for the Renegade or the Compass. I know that's what I was trying to say. It looks the the way the the back slopes a little bit. It makes me think it's a little smaller, but I can't. The length is hard to judge from this. But it's only is this two doors? No, it's a four door. There's Why? there's a there's is a cut it, line there. The, oh, the, the, cut the line. rear door handle go. is in the C pillar. That's what I'm look, like looking at it. Okay, spot, okay, uh, so four, I, I don't. It looks smallish to me. Yeah, that's why I'm thinking it's closer to Renegade size than Compass. So probably a, a little bit smaller than Compass. Although, you know, the, the thing is with, you know, this is going to be on their new uh, Stella Small platform, mm -hmm. uh, EV platform. Um, and, you know, with the EV, you know, as you're designing purpose-built EVs, you tend to have a longer wheelbase, um, you know, shorter overhangs. So yeah. it, it kind of changes the proportions a little bit. So it's hard to judge. So it might... It might actually be, uh, you know, even though the proportions look more like Renegade, it, it might actually be something closer in size to the Compass. Yeah, I'm betting it's, my, my bet's going to be Compass. I feel like Renegade, I feel like they go Compass. I like the look of this, though. I do like the style that they gave it. And is, because I'm not seeing anything in the text, they didn't give much detail about it. But is there a tiny little E in the grill? There is, yeah. Like a teeny tiny little E in slot yep. number six. <laughs> yep, a little a little blue E in slot number six. That's right. That's that's kind of cool. I sort of like the little glowing blue E up front. That's sort of nifty. Yeah, so that'll be your indicator that it's electric. Yeah, that solid electric. grill and, and and a little bl glowing blue E. A little tiny e. blue E. Yes. More, more almost more like a turquoise. Turquoise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, turquoisey. Some kind of bluish toned thing. Yeah. <laughs> But, but no, uh, and I mean the, the way this looks. I mean, it looks good. It it still looks like a Jeep. You know, it has. It, I, I have no issues with it. And it seems to fit with what Jeep has been doing for its designs. So just like you know, the latest iteration, I guess, of Jeep. And I think it looks good. Um, it's all going to depend what it is underneath all that pretty. You know. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I I suspect you know that it'll it'll be very competitive. Mm -hmm. You know, they, uh, Tavares did talk a lot about you know their their EVs you know trying to trying to make sure that they are in fact competitive yeah. um, and and be able to beat the competition in you know in all the the various attributes that they need like range and capability uh, and he they also showed um, uh, showed a, um, a teaser image of the upcoming Ram 1500 uh, EV mm -hmm. uh, and that one has less detail to it than than what we see here so that the the Jeep this Jeep is going to be they said is com coming out in early 2023 so we'll be learning a lot more about this over the coming months um, the uh, the Ram 
Uh, I don't know if you took a, had a chance to take a look at that one. Yeah, we almost kind of have like it looks like a, it's it it doesn't show you much of what it's going to look like aside from the you kind of get a feel for the lights a little it's, bit. Yeah, because I mean, it's, it's it's sort it's of a, like it's stylized. Talk. Yeah, it's like the yeah. stylized whooshy kind of thing. You're like, oh wait, those are taillights. Oh wait, those are the front. So it it. it it looks nifty, but it's so hard to tell. We're looking at yeah, such you know, stylistic I mean, they're do, stuff. They're doing the kind of thing that a lot, you know, certainly, you know, Ford and GM and, and other EV makers are doing with using lighting in the fascia to yeah. try to give it some character because you you don't need the kind of grill that you traditionally have with an ICE vehicle. Um, so how do you how do you give it some flavor, you know, uh, that is you know brand distinctive? And you know, so they've got the light up Ram logo uh, where the grill would be. Um, mm-hmm. And the and then the lights and then similarly at the back you know you've got the the horizontal lighting and the the the, the red <coughs> Ram logo on the tailgate. Um, it looks like you know be, un, again unlike Ford with the Lightning you know which is an adaptation of the existing F one fifty the gas F one fifty. This is built on on their new Stella Frame platform. So in, in that respect you know it's going to be like the Silverado. Uh, so it's a purpose-built EV. Um, right. You know, looks like it's got a little bit of the the flying buttress look, like you have, you know, the Avalanche-style look that you have on the Silverado EV. But mm-hmm. the fact that they are specifically calling this Ram 1500 electric um, implies that it's going to be closer, you know, in weight to the F-150, you know, and will in fact be a light-duty truck. You know, right. I think you're right because they didn't call. Yeah, it's it's. It's like part of it. It's not like some entirely different electric thing. It's the Ram 1500 just electrified. So yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah. So um, that that one's coming in 2024. Uh, but again, um, they they said that you know we'll be seeing more of this coming later this year. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, um, as a company, Stellantis <clears throat> wants to have electric battery electric versions of. Um, over 90% of their nameplates by 2025. Uh, so I don't know yet at this point if, uh, if Stellantis is going to do a What's New event in June, uh, bring that back. They haven't done that for the last couple of years. This is, I've, I've heard that theoretically they are. That's what... Yeah. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, that, you know, that might be where we get to see the, uh, the Jeep at least uh, and maybe get a little more look at the Ram uh, at that point. That's going to be that's going to be an interesting one this year because it'll be the the what's for those you know that that aren't journalists. Um, what's new is an event that uh, goes back oh, I don't know probably twenty years or more um, that <clears throat> that Chrysler started you know I think might have even been before Daimler Chrysler, uh, but certainly during the Daimler Chrysler era um, where uh, in June of every year uh, at the Chelsea Proving Grounds here in Michigan. They invite media in, media and analysts in, and they have the complete vehicle lineup and get a chance to hop in and drive all the different vehicles and drive the, uh, they have off-road, an off-road course for the Jeeps and, and the off-road Rams and uh, some track testing with all the other vehicles. And they usually show us some new stuff there as well. Yeah, there's always um, some hot new thing. You never know which brand it's going to be, but there's always something from the portfolio that they show off for the first time there. Um, yeah, like the the last one they did in 2019, uh, prior to the the uh, the pandemic, um, they showed off the Dodge Charger wide body red eye. There, that was where they unveiled that. Was that? It was so long ago. I'm like, what did they show off there? Yeah. Wow. 
Tim Kaniskas was talking about Dodge, you know, continuing to be a, a muscle car brand. And of course, that has now evolved to American e-muscle. So we might even see, you know, a tease of the uh, the first Dodge uh, muscle or electric muscle car there, um, which is also coming in 2024. Yes. Going to be a big couple of years for new stuff. Yeah. Um, At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow. I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. Continuing with the uh, electric theme, um, yes. let's, let's do the Polestar 2 first. Polestar okay, wait, I gotta skip. Wait, I clicked on the wrong link, Sam. Okay. All right. I'm ready. All Polestar. Right. So the, <laughs> Polestar 02, not the Polestar 2. Because that's something that's already in production today. The, their sedan, their electric sedan crossover-ish hatchback thing, the Polestar O2, uh, as in oxygen, um, is a concept uh, for an electric roadster. What do you think? Oh, it's kind of sleek looking. I sort of like it. Yeah. I like the square. The wheels are freaking me out though. The wheels have like this square. Sort pattern. Of a cross pattern. Like it looks like a giant axe, like a cross. Yeah. yeah, those are kind of weird. Those are odd. I don't like <laughs> those so much. But I like the rest of the car. It's kind of neat. Yeah, I think it's it's a great look. I think. Um, yeah, and it's we're we're starting. You know, with the the their previous concept, the first concept they did, the Precept, and now this one, we're starting to see the Polestar brand s- kind of separate itself from Volvo. You know, mm-hmm. the Polestar 2, you look at the Polestar 2 and the Polestar 1, and, you know, they both look like, you know, they came out of the Volvo design studio. They, this they have does the, not. They have yeah. the Volvo design language. Yeah. And this one, you know, and as well as, you know, the other, uh, the, the Precept and, and the <clears throat> other upcoming Volvos, the, the one element they retain is kind of the Thor's hammer sing- signature lighting at the front. Oh, up in the front, yes. But it's, it's sort of angled differently on this. Yeah. Like it's, it's Be- instead of, it's, it's a little more swoopy towards the back. Yeah. I, yeah, because I you know, didn't see that until you said that. I didn't even see yeah, it. Yeah, because the whole front end is tilted back. You know, yeah. It's, you know, done like a sports car. Uh, you don't have that more upright fascia that you have on the Polestar 2 where, you know, they, they replaced the traditional Volvo grille on the Polestar 2, you know, with, you know, sort of a blocky kind of thing. But the rest mm-hmm. of it looks very Volvo. This does this does not look Volvo. This doesn't and, look Volvo at all, know, which I guess a, is a good thing. Not a knock against Volvo, but just a, a, a positive thing that they're finding their own footing and starting to look like their own Yeah, I mean, if you're going to have brand, a separate brand, and Volvo's like going all electric brand. too. 
Right. Yeah. If you're going to have a reason to have a brand that's different than the rest of your, you know, lineup, I guess, then you have to make it look different, do something different. And this actually looks different. I yeah, like so, this. So this, this is apparently based off the same bonded aluminum architecture that they're developing for the Polestar 5, which is the production version. That's the sedan that's coming in 24. There's a production version uh, based on the precept concept. They haven't said yet if this one is going to go into production, but I would be surprised if they don't build something like this. You know, again, to, to set the Polestar brand apart from Volvo. Um, and it also comes with its own drone, uh, so you can film yourself while you're driving top-down. The drone comes out of the back, pops up in the, in the sky, and follows you along as you drive. Does it have, like, a little pod? Is it, like, a deployable thing, like Star uh, Trek or something? Do you just, like, push a button? Oh, please tell me you just push a button. It goes... Yeah, I think you just, just... Put, you just push a button, and I think there's a panel in the back that opens up, and it pops out of there. Well, now um, I need to play with this. Please tell me that's going to make it to production. That would be awesome. <laughs> uh, yeah, that would be pretty cool. Um, so... Yeah, no, no other real technical details on this at this point. Um, you know, we'll have to wait a while for that. But I think that this is definitely a, a huge step in the right direction uh, for Polestar. I'm yeah, it really is. It's a striking design, and it does make it stand out. And this is just, it's a neat choice to finally sort of find their footing with something that you don't see a lot of car, you know, convertibles. You don't see as many of them. Roadsters aren't as common, but they're super fun. There aren't a lot of options out there if you want something like this. So for Polestar to offer something and make it very much their own, I think is a good call. And I think it fits with the Polestar brand um, because for those not familiar with, with the history of Polestar, you know, it was it was a Swedish company that started off in the mid '90s um, developing um, racing versions of Volvos. So they they built um, versions of the the Volvo 850 wagon. Uh, and some other Volvos for touring car racing. And then they started doing higher performance road cars based on Volvos. And then eventually, I think it was about 2005 or six, maybe, um, Volvo actually acquired Polestar, uh, brought it in-house much the way Mercedes did with AMG, mm-hmm. um, and made it the in-house you know, performance division. And that's why you have so-called Polestar engineered versions of various Volvo models. And you can, you can always tell when they're, they're Polestar engineered because they have yellow seat, bright yellow seat belts. Yep. Um, and then a few years back, you know, they decided, you know, Volvo and Geely, the company, the Chinese company that owns Volvo, decided to break out Polestar again as an, a dedicated EV brand. And, but, you know, to keep it, you know, with that performance flavor, uh, higher performance flavor than than what you would typically get from a Volvo, so I think that this is this would be a good addition to that lineup. I agree. I think it's gonna. I, I think it's a great addition. I'm curious. I I love to see these concepts, but you just never know what's actually gonna be what you see when the time arrives. So I hope it looks as good as this. And they don't. There's some very distinctive design elements to this. I hope they keep that when they actually yeah. put this out there. And you're like, oh wait, you got rid of the cool bits. <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about Ford. Let's um, talk about Ford. They, they had they had a little announcement uh, earlier this week. Um, they're uh, reorganizing, um, and that can often be um, a really traumatic, painful, and and often not very effective thing for a big company to do. Um, yes, corporate reorganizations often go awry. They um, often do go sideways. Yeah. Um, so this one, you know. Ford and and GM both 
uh, as well as some other legacy automakers, have been getting pressure from Wall Street financial analysts for some time now to spin off their EV businesses, which to me always struck me as a dumb thing to do. Um, the, the only ones that would benefit from that are the Wall Street uh, investment banks that would be mm-hmm. underwriting you know, the IPOs and things like that. They're the ones who make out on these kinds of deals. Um, for, for the automakers, you know, the, the, the reason, to, the, the rationale supposedly to do this would be to unlock shareholder value. <clears throat> because so many you know, EV companies, uh, or more specifically Tesla, you know, has such an outsized market value market capitalization compared to its sales and its revenues and, and profits that, you know, they figure, well, if Ford spins off its EV business and GM spins off its EV business, you've got these two huge new EV businesses that would have huge market caps. Um, and, you know, then they could, um, you know, but then the problem is now that they're separate companies, now they've got to replicate a lot of the things that, you know, they already had within right. their parent companies. And they've also they also don't have access to the cash flow that those parent companies have and the profits those companies have, mm-hmm. and so they've got to raise capital in order to to spend thirty, forty, fifty billion dollars over the next you know half a dozen years to build all these battery plants and retool all these factories. You know they've got to raise that money somewhere else, and you know part of you know I think part of the reason why Tesla is valued the way it is is because you know it has been. You know, it has largely had the EV market to itself, and a lot of people bought into that. You know, for that reason. But you know, once you suddenly have a whole bunch of EV only makers, you know, then the it's there's no guarantee that that they're all going to get that same kind of market cap. You right. Know, certainly, we've it's, seen. It was very different when Tesla came into being as Tesla than it is today with Ford announcing with what they're doing. I, it, it's. I, I guess I get it to a certain point from the purely let's let's crunch the market and the numbers and try to make things look right investor wise and to, like sort of almost from an appearances point of view. But I don't know that in practically it always works out. And and there's a point where you're like, OK, so I get everything is going just from this particular idea. I get everything is going to electric. I get that's where we're going. I get that's where the market that we're going to go, whether it takes two years or 20 years. That's where we're going. We're going to say bye bye ice at some point. And but then what do you do? You just like you've just re, now you've lost a division entirely and you just say, well, we're not just going to be that old one at all. We're just going to go buy our new name. At some point, you just got to ditch the old name. Why don't you just keep the name you had and keep the divisions you had and just gradually morph them i don't i i don't know sam so so what what ford has decided to do instead is they created a new business unit called ford model e and they um that is their their business that that's the unit that's going to handle development of uh of electric vehicles as well as all the software and services for the whole company and then the traditional internal combustion business, you know, all the all the legacy stuff, that is now a division called Ford Blue. Um, Ford Model E is going to be run directly by Jim Farley, the CEO of Ford, um, and you know, kind of the day-to-day operations of that is going to be overseen by Doug Field, who came from most recently from Apple last fall. Uh, before that, he was at Tesla. He he was in charge of engineering at Tesla, um, and. Um, Kumar Golhatra, 
um, who we both know, uh, yes. is, is going to be running Ford Blue. Um, Ford Blue will have responsibility for the traditional vehicles uh, and also manufacturing and some other stuff. And then Ford's also got the Ford Pro commercial vehicle business that they launched last year. And the unit formerly known as Ford Smart Mobility um, is now called Ford Drive. So you got four main business units, or five actually, if you count Ford Credit, which is also a huge profit driver for the company. Um, and um, the one of the interesting things about this is, you know, they're not, you know, with, between Ford Blue and Ford Model E, they're not going to replicate everything. So, for example, you know, Ford Model E is doing software. Uh, and that includes things like developing driver assist systems like Blue Cruise and, and Lincoln Active Glide. And they'll develop that stuff and provide it for the vehicles out of Ford Blue. Similarly, Ford Blue is going to be overseeing most of the manufacturing and building vehicles for Model E. Um, so, you know, this is one of the things if you were to actually spin it off, you'd actually have to duplicate all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now you get to leverage, you know, and, and, optimize all that stuff and, and just have one group, you know, handle it for, for both, uh, which I think is a smart thing. But one of the, to me, one of the most interesting details, I watched the, the presentation and the, the Q and a, um, out, out of this whole thing. Um, the marketing and distribution is also out of Ford blue for now, but, uh, Kumar Golhatra talked about what's going to happen with dealers. And I think, you know, we've talked, you know, over the past several months about, you know, what dealers are, are doing with markups and things like that and, you know, mm-hmm. the vehicle shortages. Uh, and, what you know, one of the things that Gohatra talked about was working with the dealers to get them to specialize more. Um, you know, so out of, you know, Ford's 3,000 plus dealers, you know, there's about 600 that are focused you know, they're Ford Pro dealers. They focus on selling commercial vehicles to fleets and commercial customers. What they also want to do is have some dealers that are specialists in EVs because they recognize that there's going to be some regions, you know, where EVs are not really going to take off for quite a while yet. And, you know, those those dealers are going to be primarily Ford Blue dealers. But they want some Ford uh, Model E dealers. Um, and I think the the way I see that playing out is you know we've seen you know during the over the past year with the the chip shortages that a lot more people have shifted to doing factory orders of vehicles instead of just buying them off the lot the way that Americans have traditionally done mm-hmm. and you know if you look at Ford's sales reports monthly sales reports over the last six nine months one of the things that they've never mentioned before that they mention now every time in those reports is the number of retail factory orders that they have which has been growing steadily. So instead of going in, you know, going in, looking at what the dealer has available and buying something out of inventory, they go in, customers go in because there's usually not much to choose from and they order it from the factory and they get it, you know, four or six weeks later. Right. And I think that what, you know, one of the complaints, you know, with uh, car dealers has been, well, you know, we sell EVs, we're losing revenue after sales on the service and maintenance. Um, but, you know what and you're that's still going to be the case with EVs you know because you're not yep. going to be doing all changes and a lot of other stuff um so you know one way you can compensate for that is by reducing your costs on the retail side of the business sales side of the business 
you know, when a car comes off the lot today, off the truck today and goes onto the lot, from the minute it rolls off the truck, the dealer is paying interest. They're financing that car because they own that car now. So right. they've taken out a loan for that car and, and they're paying financing charges on that until they turn around and sell it to a customer. Mm-hmm. If, uh, you know, and a lot of the big dealers, you know, they might have upwards of a thousand cars on the lot. Uh, Which is a lot of money that, that's, that's tied up. That's a lot of money and a lot of real estate that you're paying for. Well, if the Ford EV specialist dealers shift to a model where they have, you know, very little inventory, they might have only a couple of dozen cars that, um, you know, so they've got some stuff for test drives and, you know, for people to take a look at before they figure out what they want to order and have a much smaller physical footprint, they dramatically reduce their costs on the retail side. That offsets the losses on the, the other side. So they can probably maintain their, their similar um, kind of margins that they had before um, and, you know, move those people towards factory ordering cars the way that, you know, Tesla customers do. Right. What do you think about that? Well, I think, I mean, I think there's definitely a move that can happen. I think people are getting used to that idea as well. Uh, you know, f- there is still a lot of frustration on people's part, though. You know, we, we we're very much um, still of a mind here that, you know, something happens, you need to buy a new car. Well, we don't all go and buy a new car tomorrow and drive home with it the next day. But on occasionally we do, you know, a car gets totaled or, you know, you have some, finally you have that last repair that says, no, now it's no longer worth fixing my car. I'm going to get a new one. But so you still need one quickly. I wonder how, how receptive people are going to be to that idea that, okay, well, you can't get one tomorrow. Or if you want one tomorrow, the one that you get tomorrow isn't going to have your fancy ultra suede sweet seats because we don't have that in stock or it's not going to have this or that feature. So it does, it does require a little bit of a shift in the way the public um, expects to buy their cars. And I think it's been forced that, you know, just by the pandemic, because you didn't have a choice, things aren't on the lot. You will wait for it if you want a car, tough luck, but there's still, I think a lot of frustration that people don't like that. So what I wonder is, yeah, I can see it totally makes sense from the dealer point of view. You know, you're no longer sitting on, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars of inventory that you're just paying interest on until you sell it to someone. And if you guessed wrong and you've got the wrong inventory, you're sitting on that stuff for a while, you know, or if a car becomes a dud that you thought was going to be a great hot seller and suddenly it's not. Um, but I wonder how much if, okay, if, if some dealers or some, um, companies, you know, OEMs decide to do that. How much is that balanced by? Well, this OEM decided to keep doing a tradi- traditional way that, or what we consider the traditional way, where you have a bunch of inventory sitting on your lot, and that you're ready when that customer comes in, and you have enough of a variety that they can find it pretty much exactly what they want, or you can have it, you know, within a couple of days because another dealership has it, and you can, you know, wrangle and wheel and deal and send it from here to there is that guy going to get the sale instead of the guy who makes you wait four months to get the car that you want or not four months? I know that's extreme. You know, things are much quicker. Let's say it's quicker when thing, the pandemic isn't holding up supply chain issues, but still, if you have to wait, you wonder if that's going to encourage someone to just say, well, forget it. I'm not going to buy from you. I don't want to wait three or four weeks. I need my car sooner than that. Or I just want the car sooner than that. This competitive vehicle is available right now. I'm going to go across the street and buy that one instead. Yeah, and, and that's that's definitely a risk. Um, you know, I think I think a lot. You know, I think I think a lot of customers, you know, have become accustomed to the the order and wait 
approach over the last year or two. Um, there, there are some that are still going to want, and there's going to be there's instances where you need to replace a vehicle right away, like you said, you know, getting a crash and it gets totaled or stolen or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you know, and so dealers are going to have to maintain some inventory, but I think it's going to be a lot less. You know, instead of you know 500 cars, it might be you know 30 or 40 or 50 cars. So they have something they can sell you today if you really, really need it. Um, you know, the, you know, the, I think that both the manufacturers and the dealers would probably actually really like to shift to this model of ordering. Oh, because, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, you know, certainly for, for the manufacturers, you know, they can, they can keep um, production much more in line with actual demand. Um, mm-hmm. And then they don't have to do, I mean, you know, thing we've seen over the last year, you know, there's no rebates, on, you know, factory rebates on cars. You know, there's, you know, relatively few financing deals. Um, right. You know, you, you can't go into a dealer today and haggle over the price of the car because, you know, the, in the past you could do that because the, the, you know, the dealer was, you know, they've got a car that's been sitting on the lot for four months that they've been paying financing charges on it. They want to want to get that it. out of there. Yeah. Um, you know, so they'll say, okay, fine, I'm going to. I'm going to take a $500, $1,000, $2,000 hit on this to to move the metal. Right. Um, And I think think people are just going to have to get used to that approach. Yeah, I think it's going to – but you wonder in the shift from being the – the having the huge number of cars in the lot to having a f- lot less, you wonder in the like it's all a timing thing, right? If that's how it's going to move towards, and the more dealers and OEMs are going to move to the, making just what you've ordered, so that you don't have that huge amount of inventory, it's still going to take consumers time to accept that. So you wonder, you know, if the timing's right, is it too soon to fully to really push things in that direction, or is just is it the right moment because you keep pushing because COVID already kind of pushed everything in that direction anyway? I don't know. Yeah, it, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out. Um, you know, I think I think that you know the focusing this on the EV side of the business, especially um, you know d- taking the EV side in this direction first. Yes, I think is is going to be more appealing, especially because you know people that have been buying EVs, you know, they look at the way people buy. Teslas and they say, yeah, I, I kind of like that approach. Right. Um, and I think I think those customers are going to be more um, accepting of this early on. Than, I agree. Than, well, uh, and also it's sort of buyers. it's sort of the idea, you know, EVs are new still mm-hmm. in the grand scheme. Most people don't have them. Most people aren't real comfortable with them yet, even if they know they're out there. So it's a new it's new. It's new tech. It's a new thing. So if, if you're finally looking for an EV and you're just investigating making that switch and they say, oh, well, well, how we sell this is you have to, you know, order what you want. There's not, maybe it's just going to be easier to swallow because you think, oh, well, that's how it works with EVs. You know, it didn't necessarily have to, you know, yeah. it could have been massive amounts of inventory in the lot. But if as your first experience with buying EVs is, well, this is how it works now that we do EVs, there might be a greater acceptance of, oh, okay, well, this is how things work in the brave new world of electrified vehicles, you know, so it's not that knee jerk reaction, like I expect it, well, go buy an ice, you know, they're, they're, even though that's not really what it is, that helps make the mental shift a little easier to reconcile. Yeah. Cool. All right, um, let's let's stick with uh, with the Ford Motor Company for a minute and okay. talk about a vehicle that both of us drove 
uh, a couple of weeks ago. Yes. Um, we were on separate waves, but uh, we both got a chance to drive the, the refreshed 2022 Lincoln Navigator. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Overall, I like it. I mean, the Navigator is this giant beast of an SUV. <laughs> it is, like you said, compared to the RDX, it's the, I want all the room for everybody and all of their stuff all of the time, and I will never drive this into a city kind and we of We didn't car. even drive the extended wheelbase version. No, we, we didn't. Drove we drove the, the quote, small version of the Navigator. Yeah. Um, I mean, but it it's, there's something to be said for that. If, if you want that big, impressive a just large, luxurious SUV, this is exactly what you get. You know, it has a very, makes a striking first impression. The grill is large. It's it's very bold. Um, it looks every bit the luxury car driving up to you. Um, you know, if someone parks it in front of you, that is a luxury SUV. You don't even have to look to see what the brand is. You know that you're driving something that's luxury. You open it up and inside it's the same way. And they offer those, and I've drawn a blank, but it's you probably have it right at the ready. But they have the um, special sort of themed interiors and they came out with the black label and it gets two new black label there central park is one and i can't remember what the other one is Uh, i've forgotten central park and so but the central park one it actually has like there's all this laser etched wood and though it looks like central park and like the blocks that are in manhattan it's a map of the pathways in central park yeah and it's got this outside it looks it's you glance at it, you'd swear it's black, but there, it's this really dark, 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 dark green. You have to almost look at it in just the right light to see that it's not um, black. And inside, there's also a green, like, and again, it's this very dark, subtle green. You don't realize, it, it takes you a second. What am I looking at? A dark gray, a black? Oh, no, I'm actually looking at a green. It's really, really pretty. So they did these these beautiful themes. Now it's not invitation is the other one invitation. There it is. So, and you know, they're gorgeous. Are they a massive, huge change? No. Do they add things that wouldn't know there's laser etched wood in other cars? There's, you know, branded stamps in the Ram. Siri is asking me if I need something on my watch as I'm talking seriously. (laughs) I'm not talking to him. Um, but so it's not like it's this giant move forward. You can find other luxury SUVs that have these kinds of things. It's more a matter of how well Lincoln packaged it, and they packaged it very well. Um, and it's a very smooth ride. It's a very comfortable ride. It has those 30-way adjustable seats uh, if you do want to adjust each of your thighs <laughs> to a different level. I like it overall. Um, it's not inexpensive, and I don't have pricing right at my fingertips, but um, you know, you're paying for that luxury. But do you feel like you're getting what you pay for? I think you do. Yeah, I mean, for me, I mean, one of the things I like most about those 30-way adjustable seats is the massage function. I think mm-hmm. they've got like six or seven different modes for that, and, and I'm, I'm a fan of the relaxed mode for the massage yes. function. And one thing they added for the 22, so like the, the changes to the 22, the visual changes aside from the black label themes are pretty subtle. I mean, mm-hmm. if, unless you put them side by – put a 21 and a 22 side by side – Chances are you're probably not even going to really notice the difference, mm-hmm. uh, but um, the the in, the interior the, the big change is they went to a larger 13 inch center touchscreen display, yeah, um, and they also added um, the heating uh, standard heating and cooling and massage for the second row seats as well, which um, you know got a chance to we got a chance to try the try out the second row massage seats uh, on the um, uh, on the way from the hotel to the uh, what is it the Lincoln 
studio 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 no. boutique it's boutique. not a dealership it's yeah. like a little boutique kind, kind of a, thing yeah, with it's a kind coffee of a pilot, bar. Uh, not a pilot uh, um a satellite um store for yeah. a main lincoln dealer so you go in and there's a couple like they had a they had a navigator there and there was another not an navigator aviator sitting there but there is a huge not like for us but it's like this giant coffee bar and like some chairs and stuff so you can sit and they it's it's it reminds you they're gonna hate this well maybe not but it minds you like you know you walk into tesla it doesn't feel like it's a dealership it has that kind of vibe it's just kind of showing you the car you can talk about it you could order it and it's this very upscale very shishi environment that totally suits the lincoln brand it's very on brand for them um but yeah, they did give us, normally we we drive wherever we're going on these programs. This is like, no, you will each ride in the back while we drive you so you can experience what it's like to be, you know, chauffeured over. And I'm like, that this isn't bad. I'll take this. This is okay. <laughs> yeah, and I, I had a chance to talk with Mike Sprague, uh, who is the uh, uh, marketing director for uh, uh, Lincoln. And uh, I'll actually, I'll include the uh, the interview um, after uh, after this segment, so we'll drop that in there, and we talk about the we talked at some length about the uh, the Lincoln boutiques uh, and kind of what the strategy is there. But you know, uh, this is the first one. It's in Scottsdale Quarter, you know, and they're put they're going to be putting these into areas. Uh, you know, in this case, you know, it's it's a mixed you know downtown area um, where there's retail and residential, uh, you know, condos and coffee shops and other stores. And people can just drop in there, check out what they have, learn more about the products. They've got uh, little kiosks set up so you can play with Sync 4 um, and, and try out some of the different features in there. And they've got a couple of little alcoves where you can sit down on some nice, comfortable sofas. And, um, it's it's pretty, pretty impressive. Um, and um, I guess they're getting quite a bit of foot traffic through there already since this first one opened up. And uh, next one's opening up in Maryland, I think, uh, sometime later this month. Uh, so and there other dealers will be op- uh, opening up more of these. And then uh, at a parking garage nearby, um, the dealer that, that owns this one, that operates this one, they've got uh, <clears throat> several, of, you know, several different Lincolns that they have some reserved parking spaces in there. So they keep them handy. So if somebody wants to take a test drive, they don't have to go out and find the main dealership. They can just go up to the garage and bring one down, bring it out to the front and you can mm-hmm. hop in and take it for a test drive. Uh, so it's, it's, it's quite a, quite a nice experience. It is. Um, you know, to, to pricing, you know, the, uh, the base navigator starts at $76,000. So it's um, cheap, super cheap. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. Any, anybody can afford one. Two, uh, maybe. And, uh, the um, the long wheelbase black label can get up you know over one hundred and ten thousand yeah. um, dollars, quite quite a bit over one hundred and ten if you add in all of the potential options. Now I'm curious, have you driven the the, the current generation Escalade recently? I have. It's been a good few months since I've driven an Escalade, but yes, I have driven the most recent Escalade. So, what did you think about the ride quality of the Navigator versus the Escalade? You know, I thought that the ride, I mean, it's very smooth. It's very comfortable. I felt like it was a little, um, like we had a little, not super twisty Canyon kind of roads, but we had a little bit of a twistier drive when we were heading towards our lunch stop. And I found like it didn't 
it wasn't as controlled as I wanted it to be. It was almost a little bit so floaty and comfortable, like it was trying so hard to be comfy for the passenger that as the driver, I felt like I was paying a little bit, like having to focus a little bit harder than I should have. And I didn't feel like the control was quite what I wanted. But in terms of the ride comfort, I think this was almost, it was so cushy. It probably, I guess I would say it was maybe a little more comfortable, but not as controlled as a driver as I felt the Escalade was. It's interesting. I, I found it actually the opposite. I found Did you it really? a, little, a little bit stiffer, not not quite as um, compliant as the Escalade, because the funny. Escalade has the you know the MR dampers, the, the Magneto real Magna Ride dampers, right? You know that um, are much faster, much more responsive than the um, adapt regular, more conventional adaptive dampers that Lincoln uses. And you know, I think the I've from what I've experienced with the Escalade, it's got actually got a smoother ride hmm. than this one. You know, and some some of the pavement, you know, because as we drove up into the mountains, some of the roadways were a little a bit little rougher. Rough. You know, yeah, I mean, not not quite Michigan bad, but you, know, you could <laughs> you could definitely tell. Um, you know, and it it felt like more of the road surface was getting in. I mean, it was still a very very quiet ride. It definitely fits with Lincoln's theme of quiet flight, but mm-hmm. uh, it's not quite as uh, compliant. Uh, as as the Cadillac is. As the Cadillac. Okay, let's. How about something that I can see because I'm reading your review as as we're sitting here talking. Their um, Active Glide, their their self hands free driving situation. What'd you think about that, Sam? It is, and I I I sat down with the chief engineer um, after the drive, and I went through all this with him, and I think. An active glide is just Lincoln's branding for Blue Cruise. So it's, right. it's the same system that you find on the F-150 and the Mach-E and, mm-hmm. and other upcoming models. That Ford calls Blue Cruise. Lincoln calls it active glide. Um, you know, it's a good start, but it's not as good as Super Cruise. Yeah, I didn't. I, I, I have the same problem. You literally mentioned this, and I'm kind of. It, it's always good to see somebody else had the same issues you have with the car. She's like, oh, it wasn't my imagination. I wasn't the odd man out. The number of times that it asks you to take control of the wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, the the plus side of that is that some of them, uh, some systems when you're taking a corner a little too fast, not a sharp corner, just a highway, you know, curve that's a little too fast. The car waits a very long time, and either it takes it a little bit, a little bit outside of your comfort zone as a human. You kind of think, oh, am I going to be okay? And you're fine. Or you think, am I going to be okay? Am I going to be okay? Oh, now it's asking me to take over, which is a little anxiety-inducing sometimes. Where this one goes the other direction. It's very quick to say, you need to take control. You need to take control. So you feel like you're taking control a lot. And I was that, and you noticed a similar thing when you were driving, Sam. Yeah, and you know, I previously experienced the same thing with the Mach-E um, and also with the, uh, the F-150. Um, and the, the difference in the way, you know, uh, to to a large degree, what Ford is doing is is the same as what GM's doing. They've got four surround view cameras uh, and five radar sensors that are the primary sensors for the system. So you've got you know medium range sensors on each of the corners, including you know on the fronts. You know they help to detect cut ins. So if you're going along and and somebody pulls over in front of you into the lane, you know it'll automatically back off and and give them room. Um, but one fundamental difference between the two. They both use maps to deter, you know, to define where you can use the system. Um, for GM uses uh, high definition maps from a company called Usher that have all the road geometry information, the radius of the curves, the the banking of the roads, all that sort of thing. And 
when uh, when you're as you mentioned, you know, as you're approaching a curve that may be a little bit too, and your set speed, whatever speed you have it set at right now, is a little bit too fast for that curve to do it safely. What it'll, what GM does is it automatically backs off your speed a little bit to appropriate speed for that curve, and then as you exit the curve, it automatically resumes your speed. So if you're going 75 and you you know you should be going probably 65 through that curve, it'll slow you down to 65 or maybe 67 get you through the curve and then automatically get you back to 75. The Ford is using a different set of maps from a different provider that don't have as much detail. And so when it knows there's a curve coming up that it's not sure about, instead of, um, you know, backing off the speed, it just says, please take the wheel and you got to get through this curve and then, then I'll resume. Yeah. Which I don't think is as good as, I mean, from a usability standpoint, users are going to be more frustrated with that. I think so. And and also the the interface, the user interface for it is I think not as good as GM's. You know, GM has the the light bar. And it's very clear, you know, if it's red, you know, you have to take control. If it's blue, it's it's in its ready state, but it's not active yet, you know, so it's ready to ready to go and you you can engage it at any time. And if it's green, it's active. And it's right there, you know, there's there's never any doubt which mode it's in, what it's ready for. Um and the, the Ford system, you know, it's all in the cluster. You also have an icon in the heads-up display if you have the optional heads-up display. Um, but Ford, their, their cluster design, the graphics are attractive, but mm-hmm. it's a predominantly blue theme. And things like, you know, the, the steering wheel with the hands, hands up in the air um, or hands on the steering wheel, it's not as obvious. It doesn't yes. stand out as much as the GM light bar solution. And other brands like like Mercedes and I think BMW are also adopting a similar light bar kind of approach. Um, and I I told you know that the Navigator chief engineer you guys really need to consider doing that. The the other thing that I found very frustrating, um, and I experienced this previously on the uh, on the F one fifty, is uh, GM has capacitive sensors in the steering wheel. So when you touch the steering wheel, you know if you just put you know, finger and thumb on the steering wheel, it knows you're touching the steering wheel. It, it's yeah. an active sensor. Ford is did not do that. They are relying just on the steering wheel torque. So, you know, they're relying on the on the the, the idea that people are going to be moving the steering wheel a little bit as you drive. And if you actually do hold the steering wheel steady, it gives you a lot of false alerts to put yes. your hands on the wheel, even if your hands are on the wheel. And we, that is really annoying. That is not, So we, I wasn't driving. It was when my partner was driving and she was using the um, active glide. And the thing we noticed, we were talking and we were listening to the radio because we were listening to the radio. Like we were trying to listen to the audio quality. So we were both really very much listening to that. And I happened to look, I'm like, oh my gosh, it's yelling at you. Like the car is telling her she's not holding the wheel. She is holding the wheel. Two things. We didn't even notice the warning systems. Like the warning systems were not enough so that she really hadn't been paying like holding the wheel, it, it just, they aren't enough, but also they're very quiet. They don't notice, you, they don't warn you aggressively enough. So that if you really were zoning out and you really needed to take the wheel or you're about to take a turn that was dangerous and you need to take the wheel, it's not aggressive enough about making sure you notice that. But also she literally had her hands on the wheel. She yeah. is driving. She has no problem. So she's driving. Her hands are firmly on the wheel. And at one point she did this, like, I, it's like, like aggressively, 
like move the wheel in a way it didn't need to be like i am holding the wheel stop it like it's not it's not great at picking up if you have a very straight road and you're very steady in your driving it's like oh clearly they're not paying attention no she is paying attention she just doesn't need to be moving the wheel constantly right now so we ran into that same thing that it doesn't notify you enough loudly enough. It's not as aggressive enough in making sure that you see those warnings. So if you really did need to take over, you, it's not, it's sort of, it's not aggressive enough. And then, but as far as how often it warns you, stop it. I'm holding the wheel. It it, it too often thinks you're not holding the wheel when you are. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ford later this year, I think Ford will is switching to um, a different map provider. They're going to be using maps from Mobileye, which have a lot more detail. And that should that when they do that, that should enable them to do at least the curve control better. A little bit uh, better. But, that would be I think, nice. You know, they, um, you know, the steering wheel sensing, I think, is going to be more of a problem. They're going to have to change to a different steering wheel. Yeah, because it that. just does not, it did not pick up. I mean, the one time she's, she has, I'm like, it's telling you to take the wheel. She's like, what? And she's like, her hand's firmly on the wheel. She hasn't yeah. had her hands off the wheel. Like She's been holding the wheel for the last 10 minutes and has not let go. What is your problem? So it was a little weird. But aside from that, I really like the Navigator. I mean, I think you know, <laughs> if, if you if you want a big, you know, roomy, comfortable, luxury SUV, you know, it's, it's, it's a great option. Um, the... I guess the, the the one other thing I was a little surprised that they didn't do was offer um, a, a hybrid version of it this year because you know they've got mm-hmm. the the hybrid system that's it's in the F one hundred and fifty they've got a version of it in the Aviator uh, Grand Touring I'm a little surprised that they didn't offer that as an option here in in this vehicle because you know fuel economy you know a <laughs> big big SUV like this um, you know fuel economy was not particularly impressive not great yeah yeah and you know having driven the um the escalade with the diesel engine the optional diesel engine you know that thing gets 22 23 miles per gallon getting 16 in this one you know especially the way gas prices are going um you know might be a bit painful for some people but yeah i didn't ask them about that did you happen to ask at all about their decision to not do the hybrid i did not ask so no, well, I mean, I asked, but you know, they said, you know, we don't comment on comment any on future, future product kind of thing. So yeah. I suspect it may it may come. Uh, then that means before. it's coming. Yeah. Yeah. If it was, I, I would be surprised that. if it doesn't come yeah. sooner rather than later. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe maybe later this year, maybe next year. Yeah, and like San Simon, as we're as we were ripping apart, you know, the feature that we didn't like, it kind of was sort of the same kind of thing, the sort of hands free, uh, slash not hands free autonomous driving kind of thing. That's the system that it's all kind of wrapped into one thing. So if that isn't a huge deal for you or a deal breaker, you don't want that to be the best it can possibly otherwise. I mean, that's one part of a very large vehicle with lots of features that has a lot of luxury that looks, feels, and drives like a luxury car. Those features are all really good. I think maybe Sam and I were both just really excited yeah. about that whole Active Glide thing, and it was a little bit of a letdown. <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I I really like the um, the Central Park theme, that dark yeah. green. You know, when I when we first saw it, you know, we saw it in the in the the boutique. Um, yeah, it you know, in in the lighting in there, it basically did look black. Yeah. But once I got it out in the sunlight, though, I mean, you can see the green in there, and it it really it is, really is, is stunning. They Lincoln worked very hard to you know they create these themes for their black label, and it does feel you know you're paying a, a premium even for a car that already comes at a premium, but you are absolutely getting something that when people sit down and when you sit down, you feel like you are in a luxury vehicle. You feel like you feel like you're getting 
you're, you're getting a great value for what they're providing. It is unique. It is beautiful. And it is, you know, you feel like it's something special and you should. Yep. All right. Um, so I'm going to drop in the interview I did with Mike Sprague right here and we'll be right back. Um, all right, well, let's have a little chat sure. um, for the Wheel Bearings podcast. Let's, let's talk about Lincoln. Um, yeah, Lincoln has had an amazing resurgent over, resurgence over the last I don't know, six, seven years now. I think you know, since, since they started introducing the, the new generation of vehicles, the, the refreshed MKZ and the Continental, right. and then everything that's followed after that. Um, where, you know, now that Lincoln is really has really kind of gotten back on its feet, you know, almost two hundred thousand sales last year, and big growth in China. China mm-hmm. you know, in that in that same period, China has really become an important part of the Lincoln story. First of all, let, let's start with you know where Lincoln goes from here. You mm-hmm. know, what's what's the what's the the roadmap for the next decade for Lincoln? Yeah, sure. So uh, back in June of 2021, we did announce that we were going to start transitioning towards electrification with the goal of having a fully electrified portfolio by 2030. So we are seeing the shift in the marketplace, particularly amongst uh, luxury consumers who are adapting or adopting uh, BEVs at a higher propensity or a faster rate than the general market. And so we're we're going to get into that as well. Um, In the near term, we've got the new Navigator that is just coming out. And we've got some other product actions that are coming on our four SUVs, Corsair, Nautilus, and Aviator as well. So um, we're, we're bullish. To your point earlier, there is a resurgence of this brand. We're celebrating our 100th anniversary this year. And for a lot of people, that's pretty telling. Like, wow, a brand has survived 100 years, the ups and the downs. If it can survive the last 100 years, what's, what's it going to look like for the next 100? So there's a lot of excitement, particularly for those who don't really know the Lincoln brand. Mm-hmm. That's where we see the opportunity. When What's what's the time frame for starting to introduce some battery electrics? I mean, some of your competitors are starting to uh, bring battery electric vehicles to market now. Um, you know, we're going to see the Cadillac Lyric this year, and there's, right. there's uh, you know, most of the German brands are bringing out uh, vehicles. What's what's your roadmap for that for getting into the battery electrics? Yeah, so so in in June, as I mentioned, when we announced our electrification strategy, we said in 2022 we would start to show what electrification looks like for the brand, and we are still planning to do that sometime this year. Not ready to announce it yet. But later in this year, we will be talking about more of our electrification strategy. Yeah, it seems like, you know, one of the, obviously the big theme around the Lincoln brand over the last several years has been this concept of quiet flight. Mm -hmm. And obviously that's a, a great fit with electrification. Absolutely. You know, when you drive the, uh, either the, the Corsair or the Aviator plug-in hybrid in electric mode, you know, I mean, they're quiet vehicles to begin with, even with the engines running, as is the, the Navigator. Right. Uh, and then when you go to electric, I mean, it really amplifies that. So it, it seems like that's something that you really want to to try to move forward, at, you know, as, as, soon as, as soon as reasonably possible, especially given the success that uh, the Ford side of the business is having uh, with the Mach-E and, and, right. and Lightning. Right, uh, yeah. 
and our designers are embracing it. I mean, they are really excited about electrification because it does open up so many opportunities for them, particularly on the interior, because you don't have all of that structure that you have with a typical ICE vehicle. So it's, it's very exciting to see what they're going to be introducing from an electrification standpoint. Now, you know, as, you, as you shift to electrification, you know, one of the challenges um, for, for any automaker is, as you start to int- introduce electrified vehicles is you potentially start to lose some product differentiation. You know, traditionally, you know, powertrains were a big part of what gave a vehicle its character. And, you know, electric, everything's very quiet, smooth. Um, and so, you know, I think it seems like it, it would, going electric is actually going to be a great fit for Lincoln uh, because you've put so much emphasis on user experience over the last several years with Black Label. Um, uh, how do you see the, well, let's start off with wh- where user experience is today. I mean, one of the things we saw today uh, was the first Lincoln Boutique uh, mm-hmm. here in, in uh, Scottsdale. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me about the Lincoln Boutiques and what's, what the concept is there. Yeah, sure. So uh, we started with what we called our Lincoln Experience Centers. And this we had one in Frisco and we've got one in Newport Beach. And what we wanted to do was showcase uh, to potential clients what the Lincoln brand stood for, also with the portfolio of products. Uh, uh, David Kimberly, who owns Sanderson Lincoln, went to Newport and said, wow, there's this new area in Scottsdale called the Scottsdale Quarter. I think this would fit perfectly. It's an area where people live, work, and play. And he said, this is how people want to shop, which is what we've been saying as well. People don't necessarily want to go to a big uh, automotive retailer anymore. They're looking for uh, maybe a smaller boutique like we have where they can have a more intimate experience. And, um, and and it's worked out well. He opened it last summer, and it's just been a huge hit. And so we're now opening our second one with one of our retail partners in Bethesda, Maryland. Um, and for us, uh, with our facility in Newport Beach, it's really a great opportunity to test and learn. You know, we, we bring in, uh, we've brought in our, our aviator Shinola concept, and we brought in the Art uh, Design Center car, and people loved it. They fell in love with it. It attracts people in. It's a non-threatening environment. They can learn about uh, the Lincoln brand. Uh, they were telling me they had one guy who came back 12 times before he ultimately went to the dealer and bought the vehicle. He just he just liked the atmosphere, liked the environment, got his questions answered, came back, had some more, and finally he went and uh, and purchased the vehicle. So will the boutiques be someplace where a customer can actually come in and, and place an order for the vehicle, or is it just you know, kind of a place to interact with no, one or two of the models? Absolutely. No, they can come in. They can test drive. They can uh, place an order. Um, if the retailer has uh, you know uh, stock in another location, they can take delivery of there. Uh, with our pickup and delivery service, they never have to go back to the boutique or to the main store to get their vehicle service because we'll come and pick it up and uh, manage the service and bring it back. So, yeah, so it's... An, and the boutique is there to help facilitate all of that. They could just go online and order the vehicle. Nowadays, particularly with luxury clients, we find that people still want to have that relationship with somebody. They still want to touch and feel the materials, particularly in a luxury vehicle when we're using, you know, really, you know, 
high-end, really quality materials. And people want to feel that, touch that, see the quality, see the craftsmanship, understand the story of the Lincoln brand, particularly if they haven't uh, been on this journey with us. Yeah, and uh, for, for those that... Uh, you know, most people obviously haven't seen a Lincoln boutique. Uh, you know, you've got a, a coffee bar in there. You've got a couple of little nooks where you know, with some sofas where people can sit down and, and chat. Um, will the idea be to have some salespeople in the boutique that can explain and give a walk around? I mean, they're not very large. It's what, about a thousand square feet? Yeah, right. Maybe. Exactly. You can put two or three vehicles in it. And we actually, what we learned is we, we've launched our vitrine facilities, which is kind of our, our new image design from a facility standpoint a couple of years ago. And we put in the coffee bar. And the biggest lesson learned is that that's where most people want to conduct their business. They want to sit there in a relaxed environment, have a coffee, have a soda, do some, you know, have an, a, a, some sort of drink, and and just have a casual conversation about the vehicle that they're looking for. For our sales consultants, they love it because, again, it's non-threatening. They they're engaging to understand what the people are really looking for. They're listening to what their needs, their desires are. It's turned out fantastic. That's the biggest lesson we've learned, which now is in the boutique as well. Yeah, and this, this area, this neighborhood where, where the boutique here in Scottsdale is, you know, looks like it's you know kind of a little shopping and and retail and, and food district, some restaurants and yeah, right right above it, uh, people are living. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a there's a Lululemon on one side, and there's a, a creamsicle ice cream shop on the other, and there's high end restaurants all around, uh, some entertainment there as well. So yeah, it's again, it's where people. People are, and that's where we want to be. As that's opposed to being are. out in some strip mall or right. auto mall yeah. out on the perimeter miles of the city. Outside. Right, yeah. exactly. I could just come down from my, my condo and talk to somebody and say, yeah, go ahead, I'll take that. Uh, they were telling me a story um, today. Somebody was in, uh, in town. They had a return at uh, Lululemon, came into the store, said, I'd like to test drive that. They test drove a Navigator left and off and, and said we'll be back in a couple months so you know obviously um, you know you don't have a full you don't have inventory there you have one, you know one couple we had a couple of vehicles in there today um, how, how would that work out with you know with the dealer uh, bring a, a navigator to or, or whatever whichever model to that customer uh, to, to draw you know to go take a test drive or? yeah so right across the street in this particular location there is there's a parking garage and oh, so, okay. so the, the dealer has reserved a couple of spots so that they can store vehicles there and, and do exactly that okay. test drive. If the client decides right then and there, well, I want a navigator, but I want the blue one, the, the dealer has either off-site storage or back at the main store the blue one that he then um, can go and get and bring back to uh, to the boutique and make the delivery there. We don't make them go back to the main store. Everything is done right there. So how many... Um, how many of these boutiques do you foresee potentially opening up over the next few years? Yeah, it's it's a great question. And as we, as our, our retailers are looking to you know, redesign their existing facilities, we're talking to them about these types of um, um, boutiques or other uh, other ways of doing business and showing people or showing our clients um, kind of a different retail experience. So, so it's hard to say, but based on the success we've seen so far, more of our retailers are starting to say that's an interesting model because if you think about it, 
They can have their service off-site, so it's lower cost. They can keep their, their, their inventory off-site as well, so lower cost. So it helps them manage their business as well. And again, they're in the heart of where natural traffic is. It's not like they've got to do a lot of advertising. They come, come, come to you know, Sanderson and Scottsdale. The natural traffic is there every day. Right. One of one of the interesting trends uh, noticed in uh, the recent Ford and Lincoln sales monthly sales reports um, is they've the continued to mention the increase in the number of um, factory orders from customers, which yes. is kind of a, a, quite a pivot from the traditional way of buying cars here in the U.S. in particular, where traditionally most people. Just go to a dealer, buy something out of inventory, buy something out of stock, and drive away the same day, as opposed to in Europe, where there's a much higher percentage of vehicles that are custom ordered, built to order. Um, with that in mind, I mean, do you, you know, and obviously a lot of this has been driven by the, the lack of, the lack of inventory because yep. of the chip shortage. Right. Um, do you see that as being becoming a permanent trend and a permanent shift in the way we buy cars in the U.S.? Um, and you know, we'll, you see this kind of playing into that, um, working with that that trend. Yeah. So we we started on the Lincoln side um, the, the order process um, last summer, and we have seen every month an increase in those orders month over month, which to me says okay, customers are starting to really understand that this is this may be the future. Um, as the chips come back and, you know, we have more opportunity to build more vehicles, I think what we'll do is try to manage that production better because it helps us from a cost standpoint and it helps our retailers from a cost standpoint. What we'll need to do is make sure, though, that when that, that client places the order, we have a system in place where they're constantly being updated. And right now we have one. It's working. We've got to tweak it a little bit. But um, clients are accepting of it. I think, I think a lot of people are like, oh, okay, so I can... I really can order something very specific to what I want versus, to your point, just going out and picking the blue one or the red one. Yeah. Well, I want the blue one with Or, or more likely the, the gray one or the silver one yeah, or the black right, one. Yeah, right. yeah exactly. Because <laughs> uh, exactly. I think that's one of the downsides of the system we've had is dealers tend to order the monochromatic Same. colors because they're easy to order. Hopefully, we'll, if more people are factory ordering, they'll start ordering more bold colors. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Way, way too many monochromatic vehicles on the road. Yeah, exactly. Um, so, what, you know, I think um, you know, and it's been. You mentioned you know people being able to monitor you know where their car, where their vehicle is in the build process. Uh, you know, I, I noticed this morning a couple of people posted on Twitter, uh, people that had ordered F-150 Lightnings. You know, got their their first update. You know, their their vehicle's been their truck's been scheduled. You know, for April April 18th week of April 18th build. Yeah. Uh, people get very excited. And, of course, you know, the same thing was happening last year with Mach-E and right. Bronco. And, right. And so yeah, I think, you know, that seems like that's something that helps keep people engaged and get, you know, builds the excitement. Absolutely. And, and that and it, it's not only for the, the, the customer, but also for the retailer, too, because it's really important for them to keep engaged as well. So the, the, the customer sees it. And the dealer sees it as well, so that makes we, you know, we're really pushing our sales consultants to stay engaged with them. So just take the order and then wait till it shows up. You know, say, hey, did you get your your 
your notification. It's really exciting. We're marking it on the calendar. This is where we think it's going to when it's going to come in. So it keeps everybody engaged and creates that excitement. Yeah, I know my my next door neighbor. Uh, he ordered a, a Maverick uh, last uh, October, and he was really excited when he started getting the notifications that his truck was scheduled to be built and finally got it first week of January. Oh, cool. Um, so uh, with um, with you know with this kind of shift in the, the the purchase model here in the U.S. you know and you mentioned you know better balancing production and and demand um, it, it seems like uh, you know one of the one of the things that consumers and car buyers in the U.S. have gotten used to is you know they're a little patient you know um, inventories build up a little bit start getting some discounts sounds like maybe that's something that might be a thing of the past or hopefully a thing of the past for you guys going forward? Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, we, we don't want to discount our products. And to your point, if you overbuild, then, yes, you naturally have to do that. So, yeah, the orders will definitely give us a better insight in terms of um, the supply and the demand. Um, what, when we talk to call it younger, more uh, customers, they don't want to negotiate. They just want to know what the price is. And if you look at uh, some of the new uh, entrants, the, the Teslas, the Rivians, the, the Lucids, they're not negotiating. It's just the price is the price. Yeah. And if you look at their sales results, you kind of can't have to look at it and say, well, how can they do it? Yeah, well, I mean, you can go back uh, 30 years to when Saturn launched. Right. And that was exactly. a big part of their model was, you know, no no haggling on the price. This is what you pay. And people loved it. Right. Um, so, because I think a lot of people do get stressed out about that whole oh, idea absolutely. of going and having to haggle over price and thinking they overpaid. Right. Um, well, particularly in, in the luxury space, I, mean, I don't know of many situations where you can call the Four Seasons and negotiate your price or go to a jeweler and say, you know, I want the Rolex. Well, the, the price is the price. Not right now. So it's, you know, other luxury brands, there's not a lot of negotiation. You go to Versace or Chanel, it's, nobody's going in and saying, oh, I see you have two. Give me $500 off of that one. Yeah. So, um, One of the other uh, you know, things that I, I think that car makers are, are going to have to start dealing with um, in, the, in the coming years, or actually I think it's probably overdue already, is helping to educate consumers on the technology in their vehicles. The new Navigator is the first Lincoln with the Active Glide hands-free right. driving assist system. Um, as part of this shift to boutiques, you know, adding new boutiques, are are you working with dealers to look at how to help um, the the retail, you know, the the, the staff uh, either at the boutiques or the regular stores to um, make sure they understand the technology and can explain it to customers. To, you know, this is obviously one of the things you don't want. You don't want people misusing technology. Right. Yeah, absolutely. That, that I will say, is one of the biggest challenges with the technology coming in, is being able to keep up on it. Because to your point, you just experienced the new Navigator. It is loaded with new technology. And so, yeah, we're spending a lot of time and effort with our with our dealers and their sales consultants to educate them, but we're also putting a lot of um, videos and things available on the Internet because we know in, in, in the sales process or in the, in the buying process, you know, 
towards the end, clients are getting tired and they're they're like ready to go, and they're just like, I'll come back if I have any problems. But what we find out is when they get home or when they're you know the next day when they're looking at their vehicle again, they're just going online and saying, I need help with Active Glide, and Google search and up pops a video which we would produce and show them. Okay, in a minute or two, this is what Active Glide is. It's those types of things that we're spending a lot of time and effort in because we know that's where people are going. They want to they want to do things on their terms. You know, if it's 10 o'clock at night, you just get home. It's like, oh, I really want to test. You know, the again the Active Glide. It's like I can't call my sales consultant because hopefully he's home. So they just go online. Also, putting things into the vehicle as well. You know, no longer just the user's manual, but somehow facilitating it through um, through uh, the the the, uh, the navigation system or the, the screen and adding more content in there as well. And of course, another important change uh, to the, the the 22 Navigator is the um, the electrical architecture, which now provides support for over-the-air software updates for things besides just the infotainment system. Uh, you know, so things like Active Glide will be updatable. Right. Um, how how is Lincoln handling that with dealers? Because in the past, when you wanted to update software like that or do uh, a warranty thing, customers would have to take their vehicle into a dealer to have that done. Right. And actually, uh, part of the reason I asked this is uh, just yesterday I saw a story uh, in West Virginia. Uh, they have a bill that would actually make it illegal to right. do OTA updates and that you would have to take it to a dealer. So how how is Lincoln dealing with that uh, issue with, with their dealers? Yeah, so, so the Nautilus that just came out in 2021 was our first vehicle with over-the-air updates. And uh, there have been a couple of them, and so far, so good. It's um, Again, the way we're looking at it is clients, the luxury client, Lincoln clients, they don't have a lot of time. Time is their, the number one commodity that they want more of. And if we say to them, hey, you know, there's a warranty issue that we need you to come into the dealership to get fixed, it's like, well, that's a couple hours out of my time. So it's a software issue, so why can't you just send it over the air? And then at any time, day or night, and everything's resolved. That's what people want. So it'll be interesting to see what happens in, in West Virginia. What do the people want? Right. No. Okay. Um, anything else you want to share about uh, what Lincoln's doing and the direction the, the brand is going over the coming years? Yeah, so I, I, I just go back to we're celebrating our 100th anniversary. And if you look back at our past, I mean, there were some amazing things that this brand did. And uh, as we look towards electrification, to our earlier discussion about the design and the interior and things, I think it's just going to I think the next hundred years are going to be even better than the last hundred years from a Lincoln brand standpoint. All right. Thank you, Mike. No problem. Always great to talk to you. Thank you, Sam. All right. We've got one more thing to talk about uh, before we get into the Q&A. That is Rivian. Uh, Did did, did you happen to follow what what happened this year? Good gravy, Rivian. Yes, I, w- I was following it, and I-, I was on vacation a good chunk of the week, and still as I was checking things, I'm like, what? What are you guys doing? Stop. <laughs> it was, yeah, so, pricing. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I was actually, uh, I got a, a briefing under embargo uh, beforehand, before mm-hmm. they officially announced it. Um, and, they, you know, two things going on here. First of all, um, the current 
uh, the, the current setup that they have on the Rivians, the quad motor setup. So you've got an individual motor for each wheel. The wheels are not, the motors are not in the wheels. They're, they're down at inboards, but you have one motor for each wheel. So you can control them all individually and do all kinds of cool things with that. Um, and it's got over 800 horsepower. Um, Rivian doesn't make those motors. Those motors are supplied by Bosch, uh, major supplier. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, obviously a quad motor setup, you know, it's fairly pricey. Uh, they um, they uh, have, alongside, you know, developing their, you know, the vehicle, they've been developing their own in-house motors that they're going to start building. And they're going to offer, starting in 2024, they're going to offer a dual motor setup in, in addition to the, as the standard. And, uh, and then the quad motor will be the optional version. Mm -hmm. uh, and even with the, the dual motors, so you only have one motor at each end, you're still going to have well over 600 horsepower and it's going to be a more efficient setup than the quad motor. It'll be lighter. It'll, it'll save, they said dozens of kilograms. So, you know, probably on the order of, you know, 70 to 80 pounds of weight, uh, which <laughs> any weight you can take out of that thing would be, would be good. It's good. <laughs> um, and you know, so that's, that's all, that's all fine. You know, having, having a, a more affordable version is, is great except for one little detail, little detail. Yes, that more affordable standard version with the dual motor um, and the uh, and the new standard battery pack, uh, which is probably somewhere around a hundred kilowatt hours, um, as opposed to the hundred and thirty-one that they have now, or hundred and thirty-four, whatever it is. Um, that is actually they they announced that that is going to be priced at the same price as the current quad motor um, mid-level pack. What? So starting at $67,500, the versions that they have advertised up until now, start the prices are going up by, depending on which, which trim level, anywhere mm -hmm. from $12,000 12 to $20,000 more. And the best part was? The best part was anybody that hasn't actually gotten the Rivian yet, that has pre-ordered and configured... At whatever they were going to be subject was. to that price increase. Yes, because we haven't gotten your vehicle yet. Wah, wah, you're going to pay that increase. Yeah. Um, so it took them, uh, I think, about 18 hours to reverse <laughs> to their decision on it. To that. backpedal. Wait, I think wait, they wait, got wait, a, wait. Lot of, a lot of angry emails, a lot of angry calls from customers that had already placed their orders. You know, they had configured their vehicle. They were in the queue. You know, they had paid their down payment. Um, and... They were now saying, if you're going to make me pay twelve dollars or $20,000 more uh, for this truck, no, I'm you out. can keep it. I'm, I'm, I'm canceling. Yeah, I, I don't know what they thought. I can see making a change where you look at your business, your, you know, the business case for something, and you say, okay, going forward, if you do this, this is what you will pay. Okay, well, I haven't bought one yeah, yet. I yeah. know that going. Tesla like, does fine. that all the time. Right, you know, right. Other manufacturers price. do it. Exactly. Things change, conditions change, the market changes, whatever. You change your pricing, you change your pricing. But like, hey, I know you ordered this like um, six months ago, but um, actually we're going to charge you more. No, that doesn't That doesn't fly. That ticks people off. It, it mm -hmm. just it, way to make your like your fans who put money down and were like, we, I want to buy your car. I'm going to be one of the first people to own a Rivian. You're like, eh, and then they, you know, no, you can't do that to those of all the people to do that to. You just did that to your raving fans. Not yep. smart. Not clever. Nope. Not at all. But at so, least they backpedal. I, I mean, I give them credit for thinking like, they, yeah, we're yeah, going to do this. Yeah, they responded quickly. Right. And then going, oh, my God, we made a horrible mistake. Fix this CEO. Say something. Apologize. Make this better. And they did. 
you yeah. know, so I yeah, give R- RJ Scarrish, the CEO, came out like less than 24 hours later with, uh, you know, and announced that, yeah, anybody that's already ordered theirs, they will get the original pricing. New orders will be at the higher price point, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, is, you know, I mean, even that's that's going to be a challenge for them uh, because, you know, they're they're st- they're still slowly ramping up their production rates. They haven't delivered, you know, I think they've delivered a few thousand trucks now. Um, but they're, you know, it's... They're behind. Yeah, they're they're behind, and they're they're now starting to face competition. You know, by, yeah. by next year, you know, they're going to have multiple competitors in the marketplace. Which is going to make it harder. And yeah. I do, you know, and I'm just reading the, the actual s- statement from their CEO, and I, I really give him a lot of credit for, like, how he acknowledged it, you know, what they did. We wrongly decided this. We failed to appreciate, you know, how you viewed your configuration. While it was, this was the logic, it was wrong, and we broke your trust in Rivian. Like, he, he gets it. Like, we, we screwed yeah. up in a way that we, and he just admits it. We did not see it that way. We totally did not see the way that the customer saw it. And we acknowledge that we screwed that up and we're sorry. Like, that's, that's you know, it wasn't, well, we've reconsidered and think that, nope, it's like, he flat out, we screwed up, we're sorry, we're fixing it. Yeah, no, no equivocation about it. Yeah, no, good. it's like, we that's, just, this is why we did be. it, and it was the wrong way to do it, and we're sorry. Yep. <laughs> All right, let's answer some listener questions. Let's. Um, so, Mike Enos asks, obviously it seems trivial compared to what's happening in Ukraine, but do you see any long-term impacts to the auto industry from the Russia sanctions? How about EV and battery supply chains? Hmm. I, I feel like the Russian sanctions are going to affect a lot of different things. And I don't, I think honestly, we're so early into that. We, I don't think it's, we're so early into it and you don't know how long all of this is going to last. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the, the primary first order effects of this are actually, um, the, the two main areas that are going to be impacted most directly by this are, um, palladium prices and uh, chips, <laughs> mm-hmm. chips again. Um, Poor chips. Yeah. Never going to catch a break. R- Russia is has for some number of years now has been the world's largest supplier of palladium, which is used extensively in catalytic converters, um, along with platinum and rhodium. Um, they are not the only supplier by any stretch. Um, you know, the not far behind uh, Russia is uh, South Africa. They produce a lot of palladium as well. Um, and then, you know, other company, other countries, including the U S and Canada also, also produce palladium. So that, that should, that will, will probably see some short-term spikes in prices of palladium, but that's probably not going to have a huge impact. Um, where we where we may see a bigger problem though, is on chip supplies. Um, we also, we get, um, most, one of the biggest producers of neon is Russia. And uh, neon is not really used directly in automotive production, but it is used in semiconductor production. And so if we have disruptions in the supply of neon, that's potentially going to have a cascading effect on chip production. And you know how that goes. Um, yeah. The other, you know, kind of second order effects of this, you know, could be, you know, Russia and Ukraine are also major producers of potash, which is a, a major component in fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And that could have a longer-term impact on food production, which in turn would have, um, you know, impacts on inflation, 
um, and you know just general impacts on the economy. Um, also, you know the the loss of supplies of oil and gas from Russia uh, could have you know uh, you know we've, we're already seeing prices yeah, of, at the of pump, gas your big, spiking yeah. here. Um, so that's you know that's the other major effect. Uh, but in terms of EV and battery supply chains, the big one is just going to be on the chips themselves, not not so much on the batteries. And I do, and I do think the, everything you said, you're you're spot on, Sam. And I think that you know, it, it's hard to say how long this is all going to go. We don't know how long it's going to take for the situation to, I don't know, resolve or or how it's going to resolve. So a lot of it depends on that. And I mean, it's only been what was it a week ago Thursday, so we're just over a week that 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 this whole. Thing kind of went to heck in a handbasket out there. Um, so depending on how how it all plays out and how long it takes to play out, uh, there's still a lot of question marks. It's still very in flux. I mean, it's only been, like I said, a little over a week since things really went sideways. So we'll have to see, you know, the impact, if it can be mitigated, if things resolve more quickly, or if it's going to make it worse, depending on how they resolve. Yeah. All right. Uh, Gifted Napper asks, uh, Rivian, the Rivian pricing debacle makes me wonder, <laughs> if we're going to order cars more, what do customers do about price assurance? If I have to plan six months ahead to order, then the OE or dealer changes the price, I'd have to either eat the higher cost or cancel the order and start from scratch. And I think, you know, this is, this is one of the things, you know, we, we talked about both Rivian and, and, you know, and Ford uh, mm-hmm. earlier. I think one of the things, if we're going to expect customers to rely more on custom orders that needs to come with a price lock-in you you, yeah. you can't expect customers to do that and then change the price on them yeah and i don't think i think it, and i think that would be something they're going to have to just come out that's going to it's going to have to be locked because if you know that you know that's you can see it in how the reaction the public had to the people who had pre-ordered rivians if you're going to order something and it's not like you're ordering a you know thousand dollar living room dinette set you're, you know a living room sofa set you're ordering a thirty thousand dollar car you can't suddenly be expected to pay five ten fifteen twenty thousand dollars more for that and if you're the oem who's going to let that price change and be like mm, mm, i don't know it could be whatever it is when six months that's a huge reason for you to walk across the street and go to another oem if the other guy says nope it says 20 today it's going to be 20 when it comes in no matter what that's how much you're going to pay so i i don't i don't I think it's because we only the Rivian thing was sort of the indicator that Oop, industry you can't go this way, you know. And I think that's probably a lesson for all the OEMs that they're not gonna they're not gonna do it. The only other thing I wonder though is like, could you do something where if you where they could have you pay a premium to lock your price? Like, okay, the car is twenty thousand dollars. It's going to take six months to get here. The price could change. Or the car is twenty thousand dollars. It's going to take six months to get here. We can guarantee your price at two thousand dollars or something. You know? No, I, I think you don't that's think a non-starter. So? No, you don't think I, that would happen? There, I mean, no way. I mean, you know, if if I order something for a specific price, you know, I expect to get it for that price, and mm-hmm. I, I customers should not have to pay an extra fee to lock in that price. I don't think they should, but I think it's either just a thought. Yeah, Possibly. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if somebody tries it. That's what I mean. But, yeah. Yeah, but I, I don't think I don't see that flying. I don't think that's going to work long term. Okay. All right. Al Patton asks, um, "How do you wheel bearings crew for the MPG you give on the show? How do you get that? Do you hand calculate it, or do you use the vehicle readout? If you use the vehicle's computation, in my experience, it's usually off by some appreciable amount." 
in my 05 Toyota 4Runner, it's anywhere from 1.7 to 2.1 miles per gallon optimistic. In terms of MPG measurements, I'm sure automotive tech has gotten much better in the 17 years since my 4Runner was built, but what's been your experience with this? Um, it is... I always use just with the vehicle readout. I'm not going to sit there and try and crunch that I drove X number of 5.2 miles and that I, you know, I'm not, I'm not crunching it that hard. Um, I'm using what the vehicle readout is. Um, and if I do a lot of high, highway driving and I just really want to see how it's doing in highway driving, I will reset it just to get my highway drive figures. If I'm doing a lot of city driving, same thing. And if I just want to get an overall, I'll just let it roll and, and see how it does in a com combination of the two. Um, yeah, it's not perfect, but I don't know that me trying to crunch it by hand is going to be that much more perfect, trying to figure out exactly how many gallons of gas I have burned in the court. Because you almost have to have it for a little bit longer, like, you know, kind of... Okay, if you're in, your average is 1.7 to 2.1 different, it's hard to figure that out on one tank of gas or one week's driving. You know, you kind of have to be a little bit more consistent to come up with that kind of really precise number. So I use the vehicle MPG, what they're saying on the readout, um, which I feel like is close, but not exact. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, it, it, doing it, you know, do, doing it really precisely takes quite a bit of effort yeah. um, you know to make sure that you're putting you know figure out ex you're filling it up exactly the same way you know getting it to the same level figure out exactly how much gas to put in there um, you know I have at various times um, you know done that and and tested it you know to to make sure and what I have seen is that you know over the last seven or eight years they have gotten much more accurate than they used to be in the past mm -hmm. they they did tend to be a lot more optimistic um, you know, every once in a while I will double check just to be, just to be sure. And they're usually within a half a mile per gallon one way or the other. Um, so, you know, I think that these days, if you're doing it with modern cars, it's, it's usually pretty close. It's cl close enough, for, you know, that the variability you get from different weather conditions, different driving conditions, right. you know, uh, is, is usually much more than what you're going to get between, um, the the readout in the car and you know actually measuring it. Yeah, I agree. All right, uh, last one from David of the North uh, says, "What is your take on the Toyota Cross?" And I'm assuming he's talking about the Corolla Cross here. Corolla Cross, uh, yeah, the new compact crossover. I'm hesitant about the reliability of CVT transmissions, uh, even with the new uh, first helper gear. Uh, also, I'm hesitant about first year production vehicles. Reliability is extremely important to me due to where we live and also the fact that this would be my wife's vehicle. She doesn't mind the sluggish acceleration of the CVT drivability due to the gain in increased fuel, in fuel increased mileage numbers. In your opinion, does Toyota do first-year production better than other manufacturers? By the way, in Anchorage, Alaska, the current markup is $4,000 wow. over MSRP on any Toyota SUV. Uh, wow. It's an easy decision for us. If you have to hold to that number, we will hold uh, hold to our nope, we'll wait <laughs> response. Also, I think some of those dealers are getting desperate uh, to have a long list of features. One Alaska Toyota dealer in Juneau listed as um, listed as features on a 22 Camry <laughs> all-wheel drive driver's seat and analog <laughs> appearance. Now I'm wondering if I should list those features in the vehicle I'm going to sell to help fund this purchase. There was somebody that just put up something I was looking, oh, I, I'll have to find it, but it was like a BMW and on the list of things that it, you know, were included, it was like coolant. He's like, oh, well, that's good to know. Thank you. <laughs> like, <laughs> glad you didn't drain that out. Glad you didn't drain that out before you gave me the car. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
I don't do I do I think that Toyota is particularly more or less reliable in its first year? I think Toyota overall is more reliable than other vehicles and I don't know that their first year I think that just carries through probably. I would think Sam to like you know whether it's first year, second year, third year, fourth year. I think Toyota does a pretty good they they're known for being reliable and I think that carries through. I always think first year production cars make me a little nervous um because you just they do so much testing, and, but you, almost without fail, there's, you know, they find something and you'll hear the OEM say to you sort of like off the record, like, honest to God, we test the bejesus out of these things. And still somehow we miss this. And it's not for a lack of testing. It's just that one case scenario. And that's the one they miss. So I think first year production vehicles all sort of carry that same inherent risk. I'd probably be less nervous about it with the Toyota just because Toyota does have such great reliability. Yeah, you know, I mean, the Corolla Cross um, does share a lot of its underpinnings with the Corolla. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so there, you know, most of the hardware that's in there has been used before, um, including the driver's seat and the analog appearance stuff. <laughs> um, it's 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 shared with other Toyota vehicles, so that that part shouldn't be a problem. The one potential concern. Also, well, also CVTs, you know, modern CVTs are, are generally pretty good. I don't see yeah. that as being uh, yeah, not, that, not the kind of issue it would have been 15 years ago. Right. I would agree, Sam. The CVT doesn't make me nervous at all. Yeah. The, the one potential concern here is that um, the Corolla Cross is coming from a new factory. Uh, it's the first product out of uh, the new uh, joint assembly plant that Toyota and Mazda have in Alabama, uh, where they're also building the Mazda CX-50. So that... Maybe an issue, uh, but probably not. I mean, you know, Toyota, as you said, you know, Toyota is pretty good at dotting the I's and crossing the T's mm-hmm. and getting all that stuff sorted out before they ship vehicles to customers. Yep. So I co- might be comfortable buying it, even yeah. in Anchorage. Now your name, David of the North, makes sense. You're in Anchorage, Alaska. <laughs> Wowza. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's north, all right. That is north. <laughs> Much farther north than we are. All right. Uh, Well, thanks, everybody. Uh, That's all we've got for this week. And uh, we'll be back next time. And hopefully, Robbie will be feeling better. The whole crew. Yeah. Bye, everyone. Bye. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications at TryLifeMD.com? We're now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. It's fun to put on jeans that you couldn't get into six months ago. Every morning, I look forward to getting on the scale. For anybody who's struggling with their weight, it's a godsend. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at trylifemd.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.